Welcome back to the pod. Hey. <laughs> That's it. Everyone's <laughs> hyped. This episode, everyone's on a hype train after reading uh, some of this Thomas Pinchon. 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 We've gone over all the pronunciations. We'll probably get to that a little bit later. Uh, this is going to be the first half of Vineland. Which we also have been going back and forth between Vineland and Vinland. Somebody at a bookstore. This is Danny. Somebody at a bookstore <laughs> told me. Uh, I pronounced it Vineland when I asked him for a copy. And then he repeated back to me Vinland. And I don't think it's right. I don't think so either. If, we're, if we have a quick vote, I think it's Vineland. I think it's Vineland. But is it Vineland or Vineland? I think it's probably, if it's a town, it's probably Vineland. Yeah, hmm. that's. I think Vineland is what I'm saying. Vineland sounds very Vineland. <laughs> like, Vineland. I've been saying Vineland. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up on the air, real time. Real wow. time. Wow. Vinland. Well, while that's happening, we'll we'll, we'll get to that pronunciation uh, a little bit later. But we're gonna do our quick intro here. We're back down to three people on the pod. Uh, our last episode, we had four. Uh, Andrew joined us for Bluebeard. Parts one and two, but now it's back to the original trio. What's up, guys? The OG trio. OG Not trio. Much going on. OG trio. So uh, we're gonna go around and, as we have done in every episode, we're going to introduce ourselves and say what we're drinking. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm drinking um, a drink that is made by Boulevard Brewing Co., but. It is a gin and con- gin <laughs> gin and tonic uh fling craft cocktail but in a can. So it's got cucumber and lime and gin and tonic water and it's great. Um Yeah, this is totally new for me. Yeah, it's very fresh. I don't think I've ever had a gin and tonic in a can, period. I don't think no. I've ever had a gin and tonic in a can. I've had a gin and tonic uh, but this also is very lime heavy, mm-hmm. I think, which is nice. I like it. Um, yeah, that's what I'm drinking. Um, I'm drinking a Boulevard Radler. Who are you? I'm Danny. Danielle. I guess I already she, she technically already. <laughs> I did already say my name. But I introduced my voice. Um, I'm drinking a Boulevard Radler, and this is Danny. <laughs> and before this, I was also drinking a fling gin and tonic. What is it called? Gin, cucumber, lime, gin, and tonic, fling, craft, cocktail. I That's don't know. a lot of Yeah, it, it really does look like that is the full title of yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know. I like my Rattler. Yeah. It's great. Um, I am Brian, and I'm also drinking the cucumber, lime, gin, and tonic, fling, craft, cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> so many words. Uh, and it's fine and dandy for all of you that are wondering. It says right here on the can. Mm-hmm. That it is fine and dandy. Mm-hmm. Do you also, do you agree with that assessment? I do, but I also like the uh, Danny pointed out earlier the get me a G and T or GTFO. Oh, oh! I'm just gonna make that my Instagram. Bio. Also, tell your mom gin is yum. <laughs> mm. 
I'm making that my Instagram bio. <laughs> this, this can, though I do like it, is quite extra. There's like a lot of different drawings. It appeals and... to me as a female millennial. Yes, yeah, aggressively. Same. I feel very seen. I feel seen by this can. I want my life to be designed by this graphic designer. Mm-hmm. This yeah. has been Brand Corner <laughs> on Beer Time with Books. Although, okay, so we also need to bring this up uh, before the pod. We ended up saying this as a joke, but the podcast is, uh, as we've said in the past, Beer Time with Books. But today is a special edition because of this drink. <laughs> uh, gin Time with Beer. No, 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 no. Uh, Gin Chan. <laughs> Gin Chan, yeah. yeah. Jamie did suggest the name of the podcast be called Gin Time with Beer. Yeah, Danny has a beer. It's perfect. Bugs. This is just <laughs> us drinking on the air now. Gin Time with Beer. Uh, also, Gin Chan. Or, as Danny would like to say, Pinch Gin. Pinch Gin. That's what I thought it was. Gin Chan is beautiful. Um, so, anyway, that's been the... Alcohol corner. Alcohol corner <laughs> slash brand corner slash millennial awareness uh, corner. And now uh, we're also going to move into the recent media we've been consuming. Most of my recent media has been on Quiltstagram. Uh Jamie Quiltz is back. That, Jamie Quiltz is back. You brought that up on a previous episode, took a brief hiatus. So it is on record when you started or around the time. But yeah, mm-hmm. Jamie Quiltz is back with highest uh, ever engagements. Yeah, shit, guys. I uh, <laughs> I have an Instagram post, a picture on my Quiltstagram uh, that has like 125 likes now. And I'm very excited that's more followers than my account has <laughs> somehow. That um, reach, though. Yeah. Hashtags. I've, I've used, I've used hashtags very effectively. Uh, so that's been exciting. I've been quilting again. It's summer time. I don't think, was our last episode in the summer? No, it was like the last week of school. For yeah. Me. yeah, you were mm-hmm. creeping along. I was all, I was very nearly done. Uh, so it's summer and I'm not doing much. I'm quilting, which is exciting. I'm making a very cute book themed quilt. On brand. Everyone. On brand. <laughs> um, it's vaguely Alice in Wonderland themed. Uh, and Brian and I watched a lot of documentary now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. For the un- uninitiated, that's Bill Hader and Fred Armisen. They were the main actors. They weren't in this season as much as actors, but they were still listed as executive producers. And I'm pretty sure Seth Meyers is like the guy, the main writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone else contributes. But I'm pretty sure Seth Meyers is like the the guy. And it's it's parodies of famous documentaries. Each episode is, like, making fun of a famous documentary. And they're really well done. They're really well done. Um, Like, the budget for these episodes had to have been so high. Do you have to have watched the documentary in order to appreciate it? you can get the vibe. There are some that I have seen the documentary that they're making. They tell you, for the most part, in the, like, bio of the episode, like, this is a parody of blank. And there are a few that I have seen the actual documentary, and it did bring, like, a little bit more enjoyment to me um like they did in this season they had a two-part two-episode series of making fun of wild wild country did you ever see that on Mm -hmm. netflix 
Um, and it was enjoyable because they made it seem so much more insane, but also so many of the things they did in their parody, like, actually happened in the documentary. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, this is a lot. That one was a, a, a good one. It was a two-parter. Yeah. It was called Batshit Country. <laughs> was the, the two-part episodes. So that's a good show. Nice. Um, speaking of shows, you guys have already watched this, but I watched Chernobyl, the nice. first episode, um, yesterday, um, and it's crazy. Yes. And I'm which episode did you say? The first episode. The first one. Okay. And I'm reading. Oh man. More about it also because I feel like, I feel like it's not. It people talk about it just generally as like a terrible thing but i feel like i never actually learned that much about it and mm-hmm. so i've been reading about it more it was um, so abstract because it was like a multi day thing for mm-hmm. the initial emergency and then also you know so all of the work that they had following. to do weeks and months yeah. later like everyone always just well i don't know everybody but my mindset on it was like i just knew it was you know at a nuclear power plant there was a disaster you don't think about the widespread ramifications of all of it and it's crazy how like deep mm-hmm. and wide it goes how many episodes is it Ten? five. Oh, it's only five just five yeah yeah that's really quick wow um well i'm excited to watch more of that mm-hmm. um i um have also i've been listening to all of the regular podcasts that i've talked about a bunch on here um but um i had another one that i wanted to bring up um mm, oh i've been listening to pod save america which is not super new but um, I've been enjoying it. It makes me feel informed. It keeps me informed. Um, and I'm also reading A Secret History by Donna Tartt, which I brought up last time. I'm still reading it. The first half of this book put it on hold. Mm-hmm. Of this Pinchon book put it on hold. Uh, but I'm almost done with it. It's been pretty long, um, and it's a very wild ride. Um, I recommend it. It's it's weird, um, but I'm enjoying it. Um Yes. Nice. Um, yeah, as Danny had mentioned, Jamie and I had been watching Chernobyl as of the last episode uh, of the podcast, and we hadn't finished at that time, but we did finish it. It was amazing. Um, yeah, it's really good. Like it's it, so it good. continues to be amazing uh, as each episode goes on. And what I appreciated at the end is, you know, they go through. I think there is a specific technical term for this but at the end of documentaries and sometimes at the end of movies as well they'll do like you know slow-mo shots of each person and like this one person like the real person yeah like went on to do this mm-hmm. and that and they clarified the things that were made up a little yeah, bit for the show exaggerated or if oh, like uh-huh. or if a bunch of real people were combined to and represented by one, by one person because it's too difficult to have like 20 different voices. So they did stuff like that that showed, you know, what what was actually real, which I thought was really cool. And then the stuff that was real itself was just insane. Um, just sci fi mm-hmm. for real. But I think episode three was the hardest to watch, if I recall. Mm. Uh, just so you're ready for that. <laughs> episode one was pretty rough. Yeah. yeah episode three gets uh, pretty gruesome. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, we watched that. I finished Tales of Duncan Egg, the Night of the Seven Kingdoms short story collection from George R. R. Martin, which I enjoyed a lot. And it actually um, has me curious if some parts of that 
are actually going to tie into how the Game of Thrones uh, Song of Ice and Fire book series ends because of certain characters that are brought up within the later stories because he started writing some of those during the latter books because the first one was in the 90s and so that was still within the first three but I think that there's some stuff that could maybe play into how he is going to end the books which I think will be really interesting and as I've mentioned on this channel many times that I'm still excited to read those books and so this kind of makes me more excited and it was a nice thing after you know we all kind of brought up we were disappointed in the end of the show like it was nice to revisit the world in a quality way rather than just like re-watching and like knowing that things are going to eventually you know nosedive to some degree it was nice to go into the world and have the story that's actually good and then last um i'm a big legend of zelda fan i just got this there's a there's a legend of zelda game that just came out that i have been playing that's like a rhythm like music game set to the legend of zelda overworld what so like you do all the regular legend of zelda things like you get items and fight enemies and go to dungeons and like you know classic zelda stuff but everything has to be done to a beat so like you're fighting all these enemies and it's like to a rhythm and it will like let you know if you're missing the is beat this, is this a thing oh it's oh i yeah. mean is it like a thing outside is there are there other things like this so apparently it is a different game series that does this rhythm style game but this is like a crossover which makes it appeal to me because i like legend of zelda a lot but it's just so funny because you do have to be very rhythmic they make you uh, calibrate your controller it's like every time link jumps on the screen for one minute like press it like guitar hero so, so it knows if there's Pretty latency yeah, yeah so it knows if there's what? latency oh, and then like other things like that and so it gives you it's your audio fun. and visual latency and i, I like it. it i don't think i'd like playing it but i like watching brian play i it. think i would like it they they remix all of these really classic legend of zelda tunes and that's one of the reasons i like the game series so much is the music is amazing mm. and so they do these remixes that are really cool and like so the whole time you're kind of like jamming along and then also it makes the strategy different because instead of legend of zelda where you're like you know open world or whatever just doing what you have to do it's always like well this enemy has this type of movement to this beat and like you have to do this beat and well i need you to I tell have, okay, okay, i yeah. have never I heard of anything the name okay, yeah. of this i did game. pull it up uh, in preparation the name is so good so the name of the game is cadence of hyrule crypt of the necro dancer featuring the legend of zelda <laughs> the necro dancer i know I have got to come over and oh play my this. god, yeah, we can it's, play it when we're done. Yeah, I would love it's, to. It's so interesting, <laughs> and um, the meta score for both users and uh, critics, they're the critic scores at eighty six, and then user score for some reason it's a different format, but eight point six, so essentially the same score, and that's high. So people are really liking the game, and I'm liking it a lot. So this is revolutionary oh, it's, for me. I did it's not amazing. know that that was a thing. It's that so fun. It's so fun. All. So so those have been. Uh, the things that I've been consuming, and uh, it sounds like we have uh, quite the list there today, guys. I also moved here closer to here. Jamie and Brian. In this house, yeah. Media I that moved. I've been consuming is looking at Danny's face a lot. <laughs> yeah. So. Media that I've been Let's, consuming uh, is having people, having Jamie and Brian, not just people, having Jamie and Brian people. over to my house. Yeah. So expect a spinoff podcast because Danny's just going to come over and random nights, and we're just going to talk about nine minutes <laughs> away. Nine podcast. minutes away. Also, seeing each other's faces, you guys work together. That's oh yeah. True. So I moved downtown. Just I live nine updates. minutes away from yeah, Jamie and updates. Brian. 
This is Life Corner. Um, <laughs> we have all the corners. And I am the sole reason that Brian now has a job at my company. Boom, sole reason. <laughs> That's so true. Also, he's qualified. <laughs> also <laughs> that. Uh, and so that also will We're be on the same team. Same team. And also for our guests that we brought up uh, last episode, that'll be two episodes from now for our yes. next book, which is Northwest. She's my coworker. Yeah, so that'll be your coworker. So we're just going to have work party. Fish Tech V... X A school district. X school district crossover. Yeah, we won't say which school district. Yeah. I feel like that's unprofessional. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, so anyway, now that all the corners have been filled, we've done all the corners. all the corners. Um, we are moving on to uh, the topic of, of this podcast today, which is Vineland by Thomas Pinchon. <laughs> <laughs> Just a groan in the mic. Ugh. Oh no! I didn't mean to make a sound, oh, but no. I am stressed. Um, so <laughs> this is my favorite author. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna throw that out there right off the bat. Danny, is it your favorite author? It is not, Your Honor. So, well, so I'm gonna go into it saying this: that you know, I, I've read now six of his eight novels, and I would say that this is not up to the same standard as some of the other books of his. Is this that number I've read. 6 or number 7 for you? This is number 7. Okay. So I have read 6. This is my 7th. And this was written after right after Gravity's Rainbow, right? Well, yeah, so, 17 so, years later. So I want to get into that oh, before before we that. do the summary okay. just to kind of give context to where this book sits at because this is both of your all's first Pinchon novel, yeah? Yes. Well, I've read Short stories by Pinchon. Right. Oh, but I have never read not a the, full not the novel. novel. I have yeah. never read anything Pinchon. Okay, so so the way that this book came about was kind of interesting because of the nature of the author himself and the two books that came before and after it. So Thomas Pinchon is famous for his reclusiveness. There's only I don't know three or four pictures of him online total he's still alive he's still alive which i was surprised to learn when when you first told me that yeah me too well that's what's amazing about it and like i i will you know actively admit that that's part of what makes him so intriguing to me is that like this is a man who in the modern social media age has still been able to keep that privacy and yet has released you know huge works of literature that Mm -hmm. you're able to dive into his mind space anyway without any you know stupid comments on the side that affect it it's all like you're reading it and that's it so uh he had released what a lot of people would consider to be like his classic first three like a lot of people separate his career into two and so the first three were v uh crying of lot 49 and gravity's rainbow and within those two or within all three of those, I think there's some, uh, and I'm curious to hear your guys's take on this as well. Um, just seeing it around, but those three all kind of have a reputation in and of themselves. V is on Barnes and Nobles like book wall. You know how they have those big oh yeah books that span the whole store. So that's like a chain wide thing, and V is up there, which is interesting. Wow. Crying of Lot Forty Nine is probably his most read book. Uh, That's the only one I heard about mm -hmm. before I met, not I met you, before you you told me you read Mm -hmm. Gravity's Rainbow. And that one commonly gets uh, 
discussed in academic settings as well. Mm-hmm. That's the one that's kind Which of one, tr- uh, crying oh, a lot crying 49. Lot, yeah. So that's kind of transcended, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just the popular appeal. It's gone on to academic studies. And actually there's a, there's a couple free Yale English classes on YouTube that they release like just one lecture just of like hey this is just a thing like if you want to see what a Yale lecture looks like this is it so they talk about crying of lot 49 for about an hour a Yale professor talks about that so kind of a test of that and then gravity's rainbow I would say maybe his most famous book but not most read yeah and that one has the reputation that precedes it of its difficulty and and this and that so I don't know if that's the case for you all if you've heard of all three of those in some capacity I don't know uh, what it's like if you don't actively read his work. I honestly, okay, so I, before Brian started reading Pinchon, he read his first Pinchon, I think, because I had it, mm-hmm. which was Crying of Lot 49, right? Yeah, Crying of Lot um, 49. And I had bought that because, I think I've said this before on the pod, like, I got, I get into, like, zones with reading where I'm like I need to buy all of these books and read all of them and that was like a classic 20th century American literature Mm -hmm. like I got into a zone of that Um, and I also wanted to buy Gravity's Rainbow in that moment but I couldn't commit to it because I was like I haven't I haven't read Crying Block 49 yet and it's much shorter and I remember there I vividly remember (laughs) specifically I was on a trip in Los Angeles and I was at the last bookstore, which is this beautiful giant bookstore in Los Angeles. And I stood there for like 20 minutes looking at Gravity's Rainbow, <laughs> being like, I should buy this, but also I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd heard of those two. I don't think that I had ever heard of V until you started liking Pinchon. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I've read the f- at least the first chapter of Crying of Lot 49 like three times, and I've never been able to finish it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's very short. Yeah, I should be able to short. read it. <laughs> Crying of Lot 49 is the only one of his that I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> until um, you started talking a lot about him last year. I specifically remember you bringing that book to Kenna's wedding. Our <laughs> friend <laughs> Kenna's wedding. Because we were all... <laughs> we stayed in a little lodge together mm-hmm. with uh-huh. my a partner foursome. also. We had <laughs> yeah. a little foursome room. Um, and Brian was reading Gravity's Rainbow still. I recall that you had, you, it took you a while to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very long. Um, so those are the only two I'd heard of before Vineland. Yeah. Vineland. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's Vineland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so for those three, those are kind of the classic three, even though those are his oldest novels. I feel like those are the ones that have kind of pierced their way to modern literature discussions. Does V stand for Vineland? Okay. I thought they were the same for a very long time. No. I thought that I know it's not. But when I thought that maybe the Danny, no. like okay. <laughs> no, but listen. I love that you took this so seriously. Because several times I thought maybe that they were the same book and I like felt stupid for going to a bookstore and like <laughs> looking for like okay, Northwest by Zadie Smith. Mm-hmm. The book says it's just called NW, but it's not called NW. It's called Northwest. Mm-hmm. So that also uh, yeah, you had an effect. V I was like, oh, for V Vineland. is Vineland. That's and, fair. But it was very short because then I got to the bookstore and saw V and Vineland next to each other. Right. 
Anyway. Fair enough. Fair Thank enough. you for bringing that up. <laughs> I was just making a joke. I know. I wondered if V was the prequel to Vineland. Uh, <laughs> they're related. Uh, so, uh, and I'll get to that oh, in a little bit later. Oh, are they actually? I don't know. Well, anything I'll, I'll about get this. I'll get to that in a little bit later. But to the previous point, those first three are the ones that are really well known. And then Gravity's Rainbow was released in 1973, and his next book after having this Gravity's Rainbow that was very famous at the time uh, and considered to be a you know, a really pivotal part of the postmodern literature movement. It was then 17 years until he released Vineland. This was what he came back with after having this hugely influential, very famous novel come out. What was his normal, like, distance in between novels before that? So like, I'm pretty were... sure Lot 49, or sorry, V was 63, 49 was 67. And Gravity's Rainbow was 73. And I would have to check okay. on that, but I think that that's the case. But it's shorter. It's shorter. Okay. So 17 years later, he comes out with Vineland, and people are disappointed just from critical reviews. And that is... Uh, really? And, and the critical reviews of the time were like, oh, it's still, you know, we still think it's a good book, but they're disappointed in comparison to Gravity's Rainbow. What were the criticisms? Do you oh, know? So I'll have to wait to read them because I don't usually read oh, critical okay. reviews just... until after I finish. And so then to even contextualize it even more, so late career Pinchon starts at Vineland and goes on. Okay. So the book after this is Mason and Dixon, which is my favorite book of Thomas Pinchon's, and a lot of people consider it to be up to the same quality as like Gravity's Rainbow okay. and some of the other big ones. But that's what its book ended by is, is Pinchon has, you know, this one hugely influential novel on one end, another one that maybe isn't as popular but does have a lot of critical appeal on the other end, and then there's Vineland mm-hmm. in the middle. And so that's kind of the the setup for this book is there was a gap. It was disappointing at the time because it kind of pulled the scope back of how he normally writes. And this was also revisiting a, uh, a similar story structure that he again visits later. He has California novels, like people kind of categorize his work in that way as well. So he has these huge historical fiction novels like Mason and Dixon, Gravity's Rainbow is a World War II story uh, against the days about the Chicago World's Fair, among other things. And then three of his novels have to do with California, and that'd be Crying of Lot 49, Vineland, and Inherent Vice. And so that's kind of an interesting part of his career is that he does revisit this California thing so much, specifically about, you know, 60s culture Mm -hmm. in California, even though this novel's set in 1984, and I'll summarize what we've read here in a second. But that's also part of the context is this is one of three California novels of his and this is the second one so I I just thought that that's kind of interesting from you know my own reading to also give context if you guys haven't read the other ones so getting to the actual story itself I'm going to try to summarize this one which will be uh, it'll be a time so and I definitely if you guys have anything to contribute yes (laughs) just Radio silence. So the the one thing that kind of started the whole novel off strong was with Zoid Wheeler. He's jumping through a window. 
I would like to point out that Brian currently has a Wikipedia page. I, just in case. Just in case. Just in case. And so, so uh, <laughs> Zoid Wheeler. I could do that. Z- Zoid Wheeler has jumped through a window and there's no, you know, there's no explanation as to why yet. It gets onward to the next chapter that he gets a. No, there is an explanation. Well, uh, I disagree with The next with chapter. That. No. It mentions it beforehand. So regardless, he gets a check from the government. That for uh, mental disability? Yes. He and mentions that in the first chapter. Okay, that's fine. So he gets that check uh, every for, for doing a crazy thing every year. That's the main stipulation is that he has to do some, you know, grand crazy thing every single year. and To, like, qualify him. To qualify as, to get this check still. As crazy. Right. And so it's not always the window thing, but the last few years has been. Yeah. And he mentions that this year the window is particularly easy to break through, so maybe it's like even more staged than mm-hmm. even he knows. Because like he said, because he's like, he's right. like, this year it felt like it gave way, like right upon me, yeah, touching it. And so then Hector starts eating it, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so that's the setup we have with Zoid, who's presumably our main character, but we haven't seen as much of him in the in the latter half of of our. Uh, of this Who's part. Who's to say? Who's to and say? And he's like maybe crazy, but also seems pretty with it. Mm-hmm. We don't know how he started getting those checks. Right. And so he, all, all we really know is that he's of the hippie persuasion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the hippie persuasion. That's my Instagram bio. <laughs> There's a he, lot of. He likes the weed. He likes the weed. <laughs> uh, he likes the weed. And he really doesn't seem to have much of an income outside of these checks from the government because we also get introduced to Zoid uh, eating, what was it, uh, something with Nesquik on top of it. Oh, right. He talks about Fruit Loops. It was like Fruit Loops, loops with, then, Nesquik uh, with Nesquik on top Nesquik of it. powder on top. Right. Yeah, he doesn't, yeah. And so that's when we get introduced to his daughter who seems to be more uh, of a main character to some degree at this point in the she's novel a central character. than yeah. Zoid is. But she's <laughs> like, she has a weird relationship with her dad and that like seeing him eating this food is like disappointing of like you are a, you know, lazy hippie bum. But also she like still cares it's for like him. It's like endearing. But she's also a little bit like rebel of her era. Like, she wants to be kind of a hippie of her right. era. Her name's Prairie. Yeah, her name's Prairie. And, but but the thing is, is what continues to get brought up in the background of this novel is that it is now the 80s, and there are other characters that are of the hippie persuasion, but they're all kind of stuck in the past to some degree. It, it's kind of talking about, you know, the hippie movement of the 60s, but then they're also continually reference, referencing Ronald Reagan uh, they talked about uh, Nixon a little bit as well and the transition politically uh, from the 60s to the 80s. Right, yeah. This is supposed to take place the year of Reagan. His re-election. His re-election. Yeah. And so, it's 1984. Yeah, and so it's definitely on their minds. And and so that's kind of... Um, it kind of sets up an us-versus-them kind of situation. And the them in this case happens to be government agents uh one of those being uh brock vond, vond and, what a name and brock he- vond and hector 
something. I don't know Hector's last name. <laughs> I don't. I don't either. Actually. Um. And so it doesn't matter. And so we kind of <laughs> we first get introduced to Hector, uh, and Zoid starts to remember a past with Hector, kind of harassing him and also wanting information, mm-hmm. uh, and would be willing to pay, uh, Zoid, but Zoid is has not always been cooperative. Yeah. What kind of information does he want? So I I thought that it was it, about the other like mostly drugs. hippies, yeah. yeah. Other other drugs. It was and, like a lot of drug trafficking and different like Hector would give information about like this guy sold me weed. Mm-hmm. Or Hector always wanted Zoid to give that information and Zoid was always kind of like whatever. Right. <laughs> like right. I don't care. And, and so with Hector we also then find a relationship with Brock Vond who it seems that Brock is his superior to some degree and also has a tie in with Zoid and Prairie and that he was involved originally with uh, Zoid's ex-wife Prairie's mother Frenessi? Uh, yeah. Frenessi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and and so this starts to then lead into you know the rest of the action of the novel. Once we start hearing about Frenessi, um, this is a person that Prairie's never met. She's very interested in knowing about her mom. But the reason that Hector uh, and presumably Brock are coming back into Zoid's life, uh, Frenessi was also on some sort of government program it was a witness protection program mm-hmm. that program is ending or has ended and so Fernessi is presumably also in some trouble yeah and he's like kind of free but is maybe She's running like on the run a little bit and she might be running towards zoid so they want to track zoid but also on the back burner of all of that like brock is still a person and then there's hector is maybe running from an insane asylum? Can we talk about that? Right. Well, we'll, we'll <laughs> let's let's finish out uh, just to summarize, so we can get into deeper of a couple other things. Just just very quickly, and so so you know that's the main part of of the story of where we're at is everything's kind of leading to rediscovering Frenessi and the reason that they're also uh, kind of on the run is that Brock has orchestrated something to get. Zoid and Prairie out of their house. There has been a hit essentially mm-hmm. on them. And so then all of these characters are beginning to get tied together and we're kind of on a wild goose chase from there. I think that that's a fair summary that's, of where we're yeah. at. Messi is like kind of the thread that ties everybody, ties everybody together. Everybody together. But, but we haven't technically seen her yet. We've only no. seen her through flashbacks. Right. Okay. There's been, we haven't like really met There's her. been nothing in the present yet. And so yeah. so that's we're going to leave it at that because you know, we're going to get into uh, a little bit more of, of the book and our thoughts on specific parts. But Can I start that, that's kind something? of the main narrative arc. Yeah. Uh, because just it's on my mind and I want to start with uh, I was talking to I hung out with a friend earlier today and I was talking to her about this book and I was describing it to her and some of the parts of it that I was like this is weird and I don't know what's going on and she said something about like oh it sounds you know like I hate books like that where sometimes the narrator is so unreliable that you'd blah blah and I was like no it's not like I I think I said Zoid was the main character but then I was like he isn't telling the story yeah right not really it's, it's kind of an omniscient third person but also there are parts of it that I'm like, that does seem like somebody's just tripping and I don't know what's happening. 
So part of that, first, Hector is maybe crazy. It says that he's being treated for, like, TV addiction. Oh, yeah, I read, yeah, I read about he, that. And he, like, escaped from an insane asylum where he, he is obsessed with the Brady Bunch. And, they call it the tube in the book. Yeah, the mm-hmm. tube. Um, and then the other part, which is way later, but the part with the... After Zoid is in Hawaii and he's on the airplane and the other airplane like connects with his airplane and I'm like, what is going on right now? So I don't know. Danny's just shaking her head. I think part of this, I wanted to ask Brian specifically if I'm supposed to take this seriously. Like if it's. Don't ask me. If it's kind of like a science fiction or if it's. If it's somebody who's oh, on I was, drugs. I was taking it as science fiction. It makes me think of Vonnegut. Oh, I know, but also it's so much more... Like, the the narration is so much more serious than Vonnegut yeah. that I my brain can't handle it. Yeah. So this is something that I had... We were talking briefly mm-hmm. earlier today where I was like, well, save it for the pod. Just because... You talked about it together. Hashtag save it for <laughs> the pod. Earlier. Um, and... So I had mentioned there's a couple things about Pinchon's work that kind of ties them all together. And I'll revisit something that we also talked about earlier in the podcast here in a second. But one of the things that Pinchon does have is a lot of zaniness to his novels. There's a lot of absurdity there. The thing here is I don't know that that absurdity was was done quite well as the reasoning as to why it's happening. So in other instances of books where he's had this absurdity, there's been really good reasons as to why. And it may tie into how he does it in another book, but in Mason and Dixon, there's a story getting told. It's a frame narrative. And so the narrator, depending on who's in the room, is telling a historical story. But if there's young children, he'll start being like, oh yeah, and when they were crossing the river, like you know a monster was there or something but but it all makes sense because it's in the frame of this story so anytime you're you're back you know in this room where the guy's telling the story it's all completely normal right and gravity's rainbow uh, it's a similar thing where there's a lot of history there but it makes if you're paying attention very good use of letting you know when somebody is under the influence of something Mm -hmm. and in this case in world war ii you're talking about some of the uh, you know, horrific parts of war. And some of that was a legitimate uh, truth serum, quote unquote, that the Germans would use on people that actually made people hallucinate. And so mm-hmm. if somebody's getting told from like their point of view and they had just had that, then all of a sudden the narration is going nuts. But it's because of that. Is this truth and so, serum? And so in this case, you know, there is reference to like their drug use, but because the narration seems to It's pretty seamless. Not slip in necessarily to somebody's point of view necessarily. Yeah. It, it seems kind of weird. So that'd be the only thing is that I feel like anytime I've read his other stuff, it seems to be that, you know, there's something influencing why it's wacky. Not always, but I don't know that that was always there on this one. So I think that it was tackled better in other novels. This is the thing. Like, we don't know. We don't, we like, we have no reason to trust the narrator or know who the narrator even is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have no context about the narrator. So we don't know, like, you're just going along and all of a sudden there's aliens in airplanes and other (laughs) things. Like, and like, it's very like, 
the narration moves so smoothly between, and like it yeah. feels just like here's a flashback to another very real thing that very right. much and happened. you feel like you're right. in a flashback like right like you feel like you're in a flashback that happened like mm-hmm. you're being told a story that's happening or has happened and then there's a flashback that also has happened so so that's the only thing that i i would think of is because there had been you know circumstances in previous novels where there was a reason because this novel seems to be so flashback heavy that maybe by you know the fact that it is a remembering and a retelling that like details are fuzzy and that that may be the reason as to why but But like what's the point like what is the also that doesn't answer the question about Hector I don't think because Hector the stuff about Hector was in real time was people showed up being like he escaped from our institution. Well, I would assume that that's true. But that seems wacky that he's addicted to the Brady Bunch. <laughs> like it, I don't It happens though. Is it a is it a commentary? Is it like a satire on like what TV is that? What's being that, well, what's becoming that a TLC thing? show, The My Strange Addiction? Like I'm sure <laughs> like, I'm addicted to crying. Yeah, like you could be, you could be addicted. <laughs> I've seen that. You could be addicted to the Brady Bunch. Yeah, I mean he he hums the Flintstones yeah. tune. I don't know. I just feel like it there are so many moments where I was kind of like, I wait, but yeah, and that's I don't. <laughs> and that's fair. That, that's totally fair. I, like I said, I think that there are other instances where some of that was tackled, uh, maybe a little bit better. But that's why I'm glad to like be talking about a book that, may, like I was telling Jamie this earlier, like if we just choose certified like home run classics for every episode of the podcast, then it's just us being like, oh, oh my god, it's so good. Like it's cool to kind of discuss or like hot takes, like like flaws in yeah. in novels, which you know I, I find interesting as well um and so one of the things that does kind of tie this into other novels uh is that Pinchon does have a style and so somebody uh i think it was you jamie said something about is it tied to like is v a prequel to oh, yeah. to violent so uh similar to vonnegut Pinchon has character crossovers oh, yeah. that presumably every single book is in the same universe Okay. And that there's a character from Crying of Lot 49, I haven't seen it yet, is in this novel. And there are other instances where even if the novel takes place in the past, it's somebody that has the same last name. So it's like a generational connection there. Mm -hmm. So presumably, because V takes place in real time in the 60s, and this is an 80s thing, they may be in the same universe. It may be a prequel. A quote-unquote prequel, yeah. (laughs) Um. So in a lot have of have you read V? Yes, I have. Why don't that I was an early one for me? Oh really? Yeah. I thought that was one of the ones you had left. What's uh, the one you have left? Against the Day is the last novel after oh, this one. Okay. Uh, and so that's part of it is that they all kind of tie together, and also he has classic tropes that he does. A lot of it is um, historical. You know, it's set in some you know real time on Earth. Like it's never like a crazy sci-fi thing, even though sci-fi things happen in the middle of the story. So it's usually historical, highly referential to the time period. In this book in particular, we get, you know, anytime there's a movie mentioned, it's like the year that it was released in it. A lot of other parts of the 80s, like the politics as well, a lot of references to those. Songs are in every single novel. There's been a few in this one so far. Uh, Paranoia, usually by way of drugs. Um, so that nice. was in here as well. Uh, a ton of characters, uh, usually in the novels, 
and then also the disjointed nature to some degree. So those are kind of classic pinch on tropes. So out of all of those, like, has there been particular like stylistic things that you have enjoyed in the midst of this disjointed narrative? Like, are there particular stylistic things that you have found to be unique in his writing? And and maybe not, but I'm just curious. There's one really, really small thing that I wanted to point out to you guys that I don't know if anyone else noticed, but I kept noticing it. We, I mean, like we already said, Hector kind of disappears maybe. Um, um, but in the first few chapters, Hector is there a lot and they have a lot of conversations with Hector and Hector is Hispanic, but every single time he talks, he's speaking English in a normal way for the most, he occasionally does some Spanish, but, um, Whenever there's an I in a word that Hector says, the dot above the I is like an italicized. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, like a little his, accent. A little accent yeah. Hispanic I. And it kept <laughs> making me laugh. Like every time I was like, this is so goofy. Like it, it's giving him an accent without actually telling it's me. It's like that a little. Characterization. Characterization. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's something small that I thought was funny and nice. Yeah. Um, and that's a thing that I, I like about his work, too. I guess that's not on the list of what I said, but he does give a lot of character to people's speech patterns. Yeah, yeah. he really, he very specifically... He wants you to read spells, it a particular yeah, way. Spells things and says things. Like when certain people are talking, especially in this la- in the last um, chapter before we ended uh, like the last 60 pages, he only spells the word really R-I-L-L-Y. Mm-hmm. Like he he specifically spells it that way. And he puts, like he, ta- he um, replaces letters at the end of words with apostrophes. And like he does a very specific job mm-hmm. of, of um, I don't know, like emphasizing like speech people's speech yeah and and i i like that and there's other novels where like he he usually does a lot of research from you know if you look at the references that he puts in his novels they're always a real thing and he does it in a context that's correct and in mason and dixon they had been speaking in you know old english it's colonial america and he does a good job of like getting accents if they're in other countries that he tends to actually try to be as accurate as possible within those ways of speech so it's it's funny that you bring that up because like that's the thing that i do like about him is even though the dialogue is wacky it is very stylized yeah it's specific i also did you already kind of mentioned this when he mentions a movie and or a song (laughs) or whatever and puts in parentheses like 1984 Mm -hmm. or whatever i thought that was funny every time mm-hmm. every i was just like it feels like you're citing it and right. i don't and, understand but, but why. it's like it's like ghostbusters though yeah. like like it's not it's not anything that serious also aren't a lot of them 1984 i feel like like yeah. the yeah. year the book is written right or, i same, mean the year that the book the is supposed takes to take place yeah, yeah. Place. so so that's a late era pinch on thing like he started doing that this book onward and the one that's really fun on that one um, which I think, depending on who it is, a good entry point to his work. Bleeding Edge is his most recent one from 2013. And the references in there are all like millennial references. Oh, that's funny. Because it's the time period that we were growing up. Yeah. Like 
the characters in that book match up really well. Yeah, and so very... it'll be like Pokemon, like whatever your Pokemon <laughs> is, and different things like that. And I, I really thought that those were funny in that instance too, because it's just like these are me, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that that's what's kind of interesting about his work is like because there's one set in the modern age, you start to realize it more, which helped me appreciate his previous stuff. But with all of those references that he has and their accuracy it's hard to relate to sometimes because like we're not children of the 80s and so like reading a book that is in the 80s and a lot of these references are of that time and of the current political uh you know battlefield at that point in time as well that can be a a hindrance to getting into the novel whereas if you get into a more modern one the references are like oh my god like it's funny because you know them Mm -hmm. so um and so with that, um, you know, we had talked about it a little bit, but there have been some themes and there are things that are tying the book together. What are you latching on to right now? And like, what kind of themes are you seeing um, pop up in your reading? Because I think we've all had some difficulty with uh, a lot of this story so far. Like, even for me, I've I've had trouble following sometimes, but there are certain threads that have been able to uh, allow me to keep going and and really find a path through. So I was just curious for like what that is and then any other themes that you uh, have seen arise. I mean, like I said earlier, I feel like for Nessie is the, it was like, it was like almost, it was very unexpected. I, I, I mean, I feel like I started the book just thinking like, Oh, Zoid is the thing. And then Prairie is maybe secondary or whatever. But, um, it took me a little while to get into it and realize that for Nessie was like the, the thread that ties everybody together um and like to realize that they're all kind of searching for her in some way for different reasons um and it's also like an interesting angle to go straight from zoid to prairie hearing these stories like about her mother um that's maybe more recent but um like i mean like the last like i don't know 70 pages um before the end of the first half um but i also really like I'm realizing more and more like I maybe you guys could have told me this about my reading style before I like am realizing it but like my my enjoyment of a book is like very heavily tied to how much I can like understand what's happening and earlier Brian said something about I was making a (laughs) I was I was at work and I was making a um like a character chart I was making a little because I was like all of these characters and there aren't even that many I guess compared to his other books um, but Brian was like, oh, you would never be able to do that with Gravity's Rainbow. And I was like, I would have to. And he was like, it's not important. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> and like, I like it some w- people do. I mean, yeah. But like I f- like for my own enjoyment, like comprehension and understanding and uh, and organizing and latching on to structure. Like when you asked what what we were enjoying, my my first thought was that I could um, that I could that I could see. Uh, that each chapter was like kind of a different story mm-hmm. and like through it all that was really helpful for me because they're they all feel really disparate to me but at least i can like latch on to each chapter as yeah. like its own story um so it's like not a surprise maybe but it's like for me like latching on to any kind of structure like is tied directly to how much i'm enjoying it um so being able to find structure in the first place was like a win a win for me <laughs> um but also like some people are very okay some people <laughs> are very right at me. are very okay with like not maybe not having that kind of structure or not needing that kind of like i need to know what every character is doing 
or like I, I like not like spending time on that. Just as it's tangent to this brian has read books before there's one in particular that i'm thinking of oh that's back there jr maybe i haven't read that no but the the recognitions the recognitions by that same author where brian specifically told me he was like there are like literally 200 characters and you're not supposed to know who they are and he fucking loved that book (laughs) like he was like that gives me the most anxiety he kept telling me like i don't know i don't there's i don't know but i like it and i was jamie and i were having a conversation before the pod before we started recording where we were talking about like a whole storyline or like a little like a mini storyline of what was happening between two characters toward the end of the first half and Brian was like it's not it's fine it's not important (laughs) and I'm not trying to say that as like he doesn't think that things like very important things are not important sure but like I feel (laughs) I I just feel attacked no I don't I I I just feel that I need that kind of thing well that's even if this sticky note of character trait of character organization is unnecessary yeah it helps me enjoy it yeah i'm just not in it for that a lot of the books that go into those different directions i a lot of those are just you know with as many characters as there are they are just kind of serving a a tropey purpose sometimes that like i've learned to not like get hung up of being like oh well who was just saying that thing like 20 pages ago they serve their purpose in the story of just being like this caricature and and I, that's what I like about it. And then other than that, the stories go into these directions where I learn a lot because it goes into all these different directions, which I, that's what I find enjoyable. And so that's why, like, you know, I'm not approaching it of just like I don't really care. I've just learned to not and I learn to latch on to the ones that I know are going to continue playing such a big role i think we talked about this with lincoln and the bardo because i when we first started reading lincoln and the bardo i also tried really hard to pay attention to who like the different citations were from oh yeah in the historical chapters i was like oh do i need to remember who this person is who said that it was stormy that night right and it didn't bother and it didn't like i was already used to that yeah Yeah. to, to me like i just briefly gazed at each of those and was just kind of like meh like <laughs> i get what they're doing like that's just, i was like taking frantic notes like that's just the kind of each citation yeah and, and like that's <laughs> what's interesting is like that's why cert, some of these books appeal to certain people is like i think not also, everybody like, wants to do you're that. right like you said you've several times you've gotten used to it and like you like it takes reading an author a lot of times to understand like mm-hmm. i feel like how many bonnegate books have i read now for or maybe four or five um like i i feel more equipped to understand vonnegut because i read several of them yeah um and so i feel like you're right like you um, are maybe more equipped at approaching this book because and this is admitted this is admittedly tough and like in my opinion like no again pinchon's my favorite writer but like this is definitely a weaker weaker work i think it's interesting though to start with like I love that's what I love about like us doing this podcast yeah, too. Me too. Is like starting with what <laughs> I want us to hold hands while you say this. <laughs> this is what I love about Jamie and I are holding hands. Okay. What I love about doing this podcast is that I'm reading books. I'm reading. Danny's crying. I'm, no, I'm, scared. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. weeping. <laughs> we had to cut because I was crying too hard. Um, is I'm reading books that like I like maybe would never have picked up or would have bought and then kept on my bookshelf for 10 years before I read them. And also I think it's really interesting to, um, your inaugural, your inaugural, uh, like 
I don't know, book. Your introduction your to introduction, an author. Yeah, to an author is, like, not their most famous. And, like, not even their second most famous. Yeah, this, this is, is way this down. This is, like, at the bottom. Yeah. For so sure. I think that's interesting. I think that's cool. Yeah. I- I've been doing it. What question am I supposed to? Uh, so, so the the things in the midst of the Just chaos. Just keep holding my hand. The, the things in the midst of the chaos that you're still like that you're grasping onto that are allowing you to move forward. The things that you're mm-hmm. kind of drawn to, and then themes that are arising. Okay. Just as a side note, themes that are arising. If if you have them. Um, I themes. really like Prairie's character. I feel like every time Prairie comes up, I get excited. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what it is about her, but I'm interested in her storyline as, like, the kind of, like... She seems the most normal, honestly. Yeah, like, she feels very sympathetic. Like, she just wants to know who her dad is. And also, she kind of has this weird boyfriend, but also he's... She's Named sort of... Isaiah. Isaiah 2-4. 2-4 of the Vomitones. <laughs> of the Vomitones. Um, Classic. But she also kind of just ditched him to do her own thing, and I think that she's cool, and I like her. So every time she comes up, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck yeah. What's, what's Perry gonna What's do? Prairie doing? Yeah. What's she up to? Yeah. Uh, so that's what's keeping me hanging on. Keep me hanging on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> themes. Sing it. Insert that right there, editor. <laughs> themes. I feel like paranoia and ex always a theme and exploitation. Yeah. Are very prevalent. There's a lot of talk. A lot of talk of using sex. As a way to get information mm. or something oh, out yeah. of a person, like that's a huge thing that's happening in the background of this that they go they glaze over every time it's mentioned. Yeah, and it's interesting in the context of like the the free love aspect of because mm-hmm. those are you know big chunks of characters are hippies, yeah, free love and like how that relates and how it isn't that quote unquote big of a deal. Yeah, because like certainly is that Frenessi, That's like her her job mm-hmm. is to sleep with people to get information right. for the FBI. I'm pretty sure is what her d- job is described as, and s- kind of the same with DL. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was very like sex worker ish. Yeah, but like for the government, right? And it's in- I don't know. There's a lot going on there that I think is interesting, but I'm also confused about because the way that they talk about it is weird like they mention it so briefly at certain points that you're kind of like i'm sorry what did you just say like it's a casual job that they're going to or yeah something. and then also at like in the last chapter we're talking to dl and takeshi or maybe uh, to mm-hmm. prairie and takeshi says like oh there's a child in the room i should tone it down and so then i'm like are you lying to me like what are you saying mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, that's a lot. That, those are my thoughts. Yeah, that's an interesting theme. Yeah. Um, so just because of the, the time here, uh, I'll kind of say my piece on this. And then if you guys have any other final thoughts, I'll kind of tie final thoughts into mine. Uh, but as far as what's keeping me going and, and for final thoughts purposes on, you know, what I think will happen in the back half and what I've kind of thought of the first half so far uh, what is keeping me going is I always know that within Pinjohn's novels, the main characters will continue to move forward, no matter if it's on a you know snail's pace or not. Uh, and that's something in this one that I kind of have talked about with Jamie is the pacing of this, I think, is part of what 
is kind of pulling me out of it and that other Pinchon novels when things swerve away from the main character they are back even if it is a long time it still feels appropriate I feel like in certain instances like Zoid where's Zoid like we haven't seen Zoid for a long time we haven't seen Zoid since like chapter four yeah and we're in like chapter 10 that's supposed to be just like a distraction like I don't so well that's the thing is like I think that things will come back to Zoid which I'm excited for uh and I'm can like continuously curious about Furnessy and Prairie and that I think that after because because this is kind of a cheating thing but in doing you know some research about the book before talking about it today there were some threads on reddit that a lot of people that had read Vineland didn't like the Japan section that we had just read it was like a 60 something page chapter more because it's two chapters it's not you okay yeah that's true it, so the yeah. last chapter is 60 but the two combined yeah it's yeah, more than yeah. that and so a lot of people had issues with that in particular and I think that that took focus away from like you know after I felt like I was after, reading a whole other book yeah and after introducing Zoid in an interesting way like I thought that the the beginning was pretty compelling of like mm-hmm. the first setting two chapters him up. were really engaging I yeah think. and so I think oh, that now now that <laughs> Now that we're kind of, you know, moving presumably away from that section, I think that the back half will hopefully focus on our main characters a bit more. And I think that that will be really cool to kind of see how things resolve with this family. Because Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like there's going to be a lot of more personable things, more emotional things as the family's story starts to converge which I think will be really cool in the midst of all of this like wackiness. I think that it'll be interesting to see how that family dynamic plays out in the end. Um, as far as uh, the themes that have been kind of interesting, and this is just something I've seen from blurbs forever and that I hope gets addressed a bit more. Um, but the difference between the sixties and, you know, the hippies and the eighties and the narcs <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. like, how the political landscape has changed because uh, I think that a lot of times with Pinchon's California novels he was definitely in the midst of you know some very hip movements at the time when he was writing he was kind of a more like in line with the beats like that's how he came up a little bit and then like was writing similar to their style with V and then kind of transforming into his own thing later on but he always keeps revisiting with the california novels this idea of the 60s dream dying which i think is tackled really well in other novels uh of his you know can obviously there's something on his mind about it that it's like where did it go wrong this is something Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are like this is the utopia of america Mm -hmm. and that seemed to fall off a cliff then we get into you know a big swing to a more conservative country more conservative politics so i think that that dichotomy is interesting especially since we've already gotten a glimpse of that so far and i'll be curious to see how that plays out in the back half as well but uh just to sum up my thoughts about it so far is uh a a little underwhelmed but i have hope uh for the promise of the back half and if you guys have any other final thoughts for sure I want to hear Danny's sure. thoughts on the first few chapters. Well, so they both at the same time said that they thought the first three, chap- three uh, first few chapters were really engaging, and I or like interesting. I don't know. 
I feel like I feel the opposite. I was the most engaged. I was like all over the place. I felt super frenetic and anxious like the whole first like I kept picking it up to read it and like I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know like who we were even talking about. I like kept meeting new people and then going back to the like first and second and third chapters and trying to figure out if I'd already met them. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I mean part of that also was like me just like not enjoying it because I couldn't latch on to anything, but I like actually really much like re- very much enjoyed the last like the Japan section. I Which is interesting considering like I I think part of it was because it reminded me a lot not just because it was like <laughs> like an like an Asian country, but like it made me think of I've read a few of Haruki Murakami's um mm. books lately and um like in the last year and his are pretty absurd also and it made me like there was a there was that scene where like they're in a hotel room or something and they're and and she thinks he's uh Takeshi is Brock Bond and it was all so absurd and weird and it just made me think of of several chapters from from several different books of of Haruki Murakami's writing um and I was able to like kind of draw a parallel and like latch onto something and so those last like 80 pages of the first half um made the most sense to me but also were the most interesting to me Hmm. um so i was really i don't know i was really engaged the last um you know like the last like half of the first half yeah that's interesting i feel like i liked the first three chapters a lot better because I also have a reference that they mm-hmm. reminded me of. Like, I kept thinking about the Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the image I had in my mind of, like, who Zoid was is the dude from the Big Lebowski. Uh, and I think that that helped me. And it gave me, like, a sense of where the book was going. Like, in, in my mind, the first three chapters, I kept being like, okay, here's, like, this old hippie guy who, like very much reminds me of the dude from the big lebowski Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it verged way off of that yeah like it veered to the left hard Mm -hmm. and so i was more confused during the japan chapters than i was engaged because i was just kind of like wait a second there was the dude back there though (laughs) like i want to i want to get back to like i don't understand let's talk about Zoid and the hippies and the weird, I don't know, drug stuff agents and, and FBI aliens. agents and whatever. Um, so that's interesting that we both kind of had like like media. Yeah. Oh, I like yeah, that though. I, yes. I like that though. That's uh, that's kind of cool because um, I think there's been a lot that we've all like converged opinions on for previous books. So like, I also like that this book is giving us, you know, different things to focus on. Yeah. I don't really have any other final thoughts. I I want to see where it goes. I want to understand the ending for Furnessy and whoever else, but I don't know. <laughs> I want to read. I don't know if either of you uh, have this on the backs of your books, um, but I am, like, such a person who um, needs all the context I can get before I read a book. Um, like I will look it up and sometimes even read a synopsis of it before I read it because I just feel like I need something. I need something. Mm. Um, I, I'm not like that. I'm to be clear, shocked, <laughs> shocked. Uh, so I read the back of this book actually several times. Every chapter, I think I read the back of the book. I'm serious. Give me help, please. Give me help. 
Um, I need to read one of the last sentences, though. Um, it says, The novel begins with such a jump, and thereafter fragments into myriad different narrative shards. But at the end, the pieces all leap off the floor and fit miraculously together as if a film were being run backward. Hmm. Um, and that... And then and then it says Prairie is obsessed with her vanished mother and so is everybody else in the novel. So is Zoid, so is Brock Bond, who is her lover and who turned her from a radical filmmaker. The child of a... Uh, anyway, it all it keeps going and going. But That's interesting about the ending, though, that they bring that Ryan up. Mine doesn't say that. They, so it specifically says... It almost, like, it reads to me kind of like a hook. Like, like don't give up halfway through because like it's all gonna come together eventually yeah that's and cool. so honestly like that is what is like the motivation is i mean the it, it like is book. motivating for me to yeah. just be like okay it, it like something is going to wrap up like i'm not gonna be like you know dissatisfied like i know that it'll wrap up to zoid we are so i feel like we're so far from zoid right now yeah. um we've that's spiraled think, far yeah i said that and we're gonna come back to him that i think the back half will revisit them more heavily yeah i think that for sure it will will happen and that's the thing when you're talking about the characters as well in that you know it's difficult to know who to focus on the the thing that's always been really nice in in pinch on novels is with the same idea that I had talked about is that some of them are less important as you continue to go on and people aren't referenced again it gets easier to like to parse through to watch because mm-hmm. I just by natural way of reading but like it is helpful in a novel with so many characters to just like also have that mindset of when it's difficult it's like you're gonna know who to focus on because they're gonna be there like mm-hmm. it's it seems like a simple thing but like if you just think of it in those terms like you you just know who's going to you know, end up having resolution, which presumably is going to be Zoid Prairie and Frenessy. So, right. Yeah. Cool. 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 <laughs> <laughs> nice. Guys. Super cool, dude. Super cool. Um, so that's part one of Vineland by Thomas. Jin Chun. <laughs> yeah. This has been the latest episode of Jin Chun. <laughs> Gin time with beer. We'll have to have gin next time as well. Yeah, this is our special. Gin chan is a real thing. I Um, will make gin cocktails (laughs) next time. Um, So, yeah, that uh, will be good for this week. We will be doing page. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Page two. For next week, everyone, if you if you can handle that, just the second page. Page two. We'll only talk about <laughs> the second page. page. <laughs> um, yeah, part two, and then just because I think, as I've done the last couple of episodes, since we've kind of discussed this, and also to revisit this idea, we're in the back half of season one. Woot woot. Uh, <laughs> so just to say how we're going to uh, round out the end of the season, uh, it's going to be... Vineland Part 2 for me. Uh, then we're reading Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, and we will have a super special guest. Woot. Woot. And then um, to finish out the season. Oh, oh. season finale. Oh. We have a season finale. Uh, Northwest by Zadie Smith. We have a real season finale, though. Remember? Oh yeah, we're gonna review retrospective. Everything. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Right. We're gonna do that. But you're you're. But the you're last the. Book. But yeah, yeah. Be excited. It counts. About <laughs> uh, so yeah, Andrew was our uh, resident scatter last two episodes, and so now he's gone. So how so are Danny, we? So uh, Danny, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Up. <laughs> I'll take it. Up. Hit it. Beep a doop ba doop bop. Beep bow. Beep wow. <laughs> we will catch you next time. <laughs>